Let's have God's Word open us up to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 18. And again, if you're able to, please rise for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 18. Now, this is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured, excuse me, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Join with me in prayer once more. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, I Will Hold Fast. And I just want to draw attention to the sermon titles that we've uh, gave to this series. If you, if you uh, remember, uh, the sermon titles go like this. Sorry, let me pull it up real quick. Here it is. So the sermon titles, we've tried to do it so that it kind of packs a punch. And it's supposed to be a way for us to adapt it as our internal dialogue as we uh, grow in our faith. And so uh, the first week we said, I am sure of this, right? I am sure that God will complete what he started in us and through us. And then we said, I am put here in whatever circumstances I am put here so that the gospel may advance. I am hard pressed. There are times when life is difficult and we want to be with Christ. But being hard pressed between this life now and the life to come we remember that to live is Christ and to die is gain. I will bow. We talked about a few weeks ago how through humility we are to consider one another above ourselves and how Christ is the ultimate example of that. And today, I will hold fast, which is to the word of life, without grumbling or disputing as we work out our salvation. And so let's get into uh, today's text. You know, the, the Christian life is not supposed to be an insular or, de or a detached type of lifestyle from this world, right? Oftentimes we think of those types of religions as monks or those who kind of escape the reality to live in an isolated, more manageable type of context. But the Christian life is actually one that we live in this present reality, although we are citizens of heaven. We are called to live in this world as lights, 
And so the question is, how do we do that? We see that faith in Jesus is not just about what we believe, but how we live our lives based on that belief. The flow of Paul's heart is consistent to what he has already said in the previous chapters. He wants the church to know that God is the one who ultimately grows us and we are called to participate in that spiritual exercise of our faith. And so, you know, every year around August, when the summer heat has fully matured, many high school football teams begin their summer camp. My experience of it uh, was that you would show up in the morning around 7 a.m. and get dressed, be on the field, do your warm-ups, wait for the coaches to come out. Around 8 a.m., the practice would start with another team warm-up, and then we'll get into it for about two and a half hours. And after that, we would go in for a shower. I won't say what happened in the locker rooms, but there was a lot of tomfoolery and uh, towel snapping. After a shower, we'll go in to the cafeteria for a meal. Then we'd have time to go back uh, to take a nap. After nap, we would have to watch film. And after film, we would lift weights. And then we would get ready for the afternoon practice. And the worst part about it is uh, putting on that same uh, shirt and pants and pads from the morning and how it's so wet and spicy on your skin because the sweat didn't dry up yet. And I know what you're thinking, why don't you just pack extra clothes? But as a high school guy, I don't know what it was. There was a, there was a, 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 a pride in just, just roughing it out. And so you just put the same thing on. And I just remember sitting in the hallway with just your wet, spicy clothes and pads on, waiting for the afternoon practice to begin. And summer camp was only two weeks, but it felt like a training session outside of the realm of time. It felt like something that was never ending. You know, practicing two times a day and having film and lifting in the middle of the day, it felt like this two weeks was a long, long time. And something the coaches would always say that, you know, summer camp separates the boys from the men. You know, they would say, these are the dog years. And, and again, it, it, it was a time where it humbled even the star players as well as uh, the freshmen who came in with high hopes to play under the Friday Night Lights. We were constantly reminded that it wasn't enough to simply put on the jersey or wear the school name and the colors. It wasn't enough just to wear the jersey and, and sit or stand on the sideline. It made sure that we understood joining the team meant we had to be worthy of it each day. And the best thing about at least the team that I was able to be a part of in high school was that there were no tryouts. Anyone who wanted to play had a fair shot to work hard, to grow, to participate, and to be a part of the team. You know, similarly, some of us uh, like being a Christian by name. Maybe we just grew up in it and it's so natural to us and, and we've adopted it. And we like being a Christian for what it stands for and the, the morals of it. We like being a Christian for the way it inspires our daily lives to be better. But, you know, it's not enough to simply be Christian by name or association. And, and you and I both know how hard it is as men and women to be uh, worthy of the gospel each day, to live faithfully, not just on the sidelines, but actively participating and growing and working out our faith, our salvation. You know, some days we are satisfied with just getting by. But, but today we're reminded that God is the one who calls us God is the one who ultimately calls the plays 
And he has promised to take us to victory at the very end. But at the same time, he calls us to be faithful. And Paul reminds us here that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And before we go into it, let's just remind ourselves uh, what Paul has already said. You're going to see that there is a consistency and a flow and a thematic uh, um, importing even into this, what he's saying. So if you look at Philippians 1.6, just as a reminder, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul reminds us that God is the one who began this work in us, and God is the one who's going to finish it. Philippians 1.21, his, his life motto, his philosophy, his theology, his, his team motto is, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so whatever happens to him, he knows in this life it means fruitful labor to him. And if he is even to die, he knows that that's a gain, that's not a loss to be with Christ. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you uh, or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Again, here Paul uh, encourages the church to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, to live accordingly to it. And lastly, Philippians 2, 3-4, he encourages the church through humility and unity to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Just let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So today God's word urges us, if I can break it down into three things, to work out, to hold fast, and to pour out. So we'll go through it, work out, hold fast, pour out. So first point, let's relook at verse 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Let's unpack that a little bit. Last week, Paul cited a hymn of Christ's humility and exaltation. Right? Christ humbled himself by being born into this world and dying on the cross for our sins. He is then exalted through the resurrection from the dead, so much so that when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Jesus, the Son of God, was obedient to the Father to the point of death on the cross, Obedient to the point of death on the cross. If, if Jesus Christ obeyed in such a manner, uh, what does it say about how we should obey? How, how our, our, our zeal for obedience should be. This is why Paul says to live as Christ and to die as gain. He understands this reality. So Paul continues in the same trajectory in our text today by saying, Therefore, if we understand that Jesus is Lord over all, if Jesus humbled himself and obeyed the Father to the point of death, and then he was exalted and delivered through death, if that is true, if we believe in that, if that's the reality, then, beloved, loved ones, continue to obey the Lord and follow after the Lord. And Paul's saying, not only when I'm around or present, but especially when I'm not there. And, then, and this is what Paul, he's trying to say. Remember when Paul started this letter, when he addresses himself 
He doesn't say Paul, the apostle, Paul, your pastor, Paul, the one who planted your church and who should be revered by you. He says, Paul, a fellow servant. And so he's, he's, he's redirecting our attention to Jesus as our master. You know, obedience is to be practiced ultimately before God's eyes. And this is where true morals and ethics comes from. It's not, it's not under the watchful eye of the pastor or your, your Bible study leader or even, even your fellow brothers and sisters. But ultimately, obedience is supposed to be practiced with the reality of, of living uh, before God's face. You know, there is a joke that oftentimes when the senior pastor is not present on Sunday morning, a third of the congregation doesn't show up for service. And you notice it because the parking lot is empty. You can, get, you can get a spot. You don't have to park in the grass. It's less hectic. The hallways are a little more civil. You know, people are, there's less people and people are a little bit more uh, civilized in the way they move about in the hallway. And after service, people go home right after. The congregation uh, is a lot more relaxed. But the pastor is not the master of the house. The pastor is not the chief shepherd. And you know, the truth is, I, I can't see you right now. Uh, you may be laying in bed listening to this in the background on a Tuesday afternoon while doing something else and calling it a worship service. And whatever the case may be, whatever the temptations, whatever the ways we often try to uh, convenience our worship or convenience our obedience, I want to remind us as a church, and I need this reminder too, that worship and obedience and faithfulness it's ultimately before God's fatherly, loving, and watchful eye. He's not, he's not just policing us, but he's, he's watching us with love. He's keeping track of where we, are, where we are so that he can call us back. And so as we live our lives, as we, as we try to practice godliness and obedience, let's remember that it's, it's before the face of the Lord. And that's why Paul says, whether I'm here or not, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does he mean, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? See, he, the Christian faith is, is not that God's going to do everything, and so all we have to do is wake up in the morning and brush our teeth, and we'll just become more like Jesus each day. Right? It's also not the case that we have to wake up every day, and we have to read our Bibles, we have to pray, we have to go to church, we have to go to community group, we have to do X, Y, and Z, and if we do enough of it for a long enough period of time, then we will be able to earn our righteousness, right? It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we receive and hang on the shelf. The gospel message is that in Jesus, we receive this gift of salvation. And so having received this, we are called to work it out in our lives. We're called to exercise it in every area of our lives. Having received this, we put it to work, right? We put it to work. And it kind of reminds us of, of the story of, of, of the, the men who received the talents from the Lord, right? And at the end, we, we were told that the one who just buries it, right, is rebuked, right? Because when we receive a talent, when we receive God's grace, when we receive the gift of salvation, we are, we are to work it out so that it grows and cultivates in our lives, so that it, it brings about more Christ-likeness. But there's also a balance here that as, as we work this out, as we apply it in a lot of areas of our lives, we also have to remember that it, it, is, it is a discipline. It is a obedience. It is a practice. It is a working out. But at the same time, it's, it's God 
who works in us. It's, it's, it's both, right? But the emphasis here right now is that we are called to work it out. Paul says work out, exercise, be disciplined in your godliness, and do it with fear and trembling. In other words, with reverence and awe. Don't take it as a, as a light thing. Don't think it's something that will just come naturally or by little effort or care. Think of it as a weighty, amazing, awful glory of God that we should receive His grace, His love, and His mercy in Jesus Christ. And this isn't just speaking about reading our Bibles and going to prayer meetings, but it's also, I think, getting to being present in the circumstances and the situations that we often try to run away from. It's, it's about working out, going to that place where the Lord is growing us, that place we don't always want to go to, the thing that we don't always want to do, but we know as the Spirit urges us, He's trying to grow us. You know, there's a saying that no one really sees the work that is put in. They just see the results. And so oftentimes we, we attribute everything as someone's talent or good luck. And, and that's the kind of world we live in. In this kind of snapshot, Instagram, YouTube, social media world, we, we see a clip of someone doing something amazing. And we just think, you know what, they just have the talent. They were just born like that. They were just lucky or had good fortune. Right? We, we, we don't see the time and the work and the effort that is put into something that is beautiful and cultivated. You know, I know a lot of times we, we, we uh, find ourselves reading books from Tim Keller, listening to his sermons, reading his manuscripts. And, and we all adore uh, Tim Keller, the brother of the faith, just a gifted preacher. But, but I think the reality is that he wasn't just born like that. Right? The man is 69 years old right now. Of course, he's a gifted preacher and pastor, but he's a 69-year-old man who I think we can tell over the years has worked out his salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and wonder before the Lord in those quiet and secret places. And we can see that even now, even though he's, he's bald and even though he looks wrinkly and more old, that he's, even at his age, at 69, is still working out his salvation in fear and trembling. Brothers and sisters, don't, don't do it to earn it. Do, it. do it to grow closer to Christ. Don't do it to just get it done. Don't do it to just cross it off your list. Do it to enjoy it. Take your time with these disciplines. Steep in it. Marinate in it. Block out a, a time and discipline yourself to focus in it. Sit at his feet all morning or all night. You know, when we lose sight of Jesus as a person who loves us, we reduce him to a religion that just institutes us. Godliness is not just about desire or inspiration. It's not even just about conviction and feeling it. It's about discipline. It's about working out our own salvation with awe and wonder that as a sinner, we would receive God's love and grace in Jesus. It's about a weight of glory that's pressed upon us as the truth really sets into our lives that we don't deserve, but we have received. You know, I, I started to uh, uh, watch some lectures and stuff through this master class series they have. And 
um, two of, of many of the different episodes and uh, things that I've watched. Is one is uh, on Dan Brown. He's an author of thriller novels and also Mark Jacob, a fashion designer. And both of them say very similar things. The author Dan Brown says that when, when you're writing a novel, you're going to get writer's block. You're going to get stuck. There's going to there's gonna come a time where you're not going to feel inspired. And so he says you need a process. A process is what's going to help you along the way. In other words, he says you need a discipline. You need a process, a discipline, a way to work out your love for writing so that as you practice it, the inspirations, the love, and the joy, and the creativity has room to, to take uh, uh, a life in it. Mark Jacobs says the same thing. Oftentimes when he's asked about how do you come up with uh, your new collection or new design, he says that inspiration is a part of what he does, but also his collections or the things that he's created always doesn't start out with inspiration. Sometimes inspiration comes in the beginning, sometimes inspiration comes in the middle, and sometimes it comes further along the way. But he says you need a process. And he's trying to say the same thing, that even if you love something or someone, Inspiration isn't enough. The feeling and desire isn't enough to keep you faithful in it. We need to be disciplined. We need to work out with a sense of awe and wonder, faithfully and diligently. And that's when the inspiration, that's when the desires start to come and take deeper root. And so here's an encouragement. Even if you lack desire, Paul says that God is the one who works in you both to will and to work. What's he saying? He says, God is the one who works in you, both to will and to work to work out. God gives you the will to work. God gives you to the will even to desire. And so what, 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 what we're trying to say is, so if you're struggling with a lack of desire, then ask the Lord for desire. If you're, if, you're, if you're struggling with a lack of passion, then passionately ask for passion. If you're struggling with, with not having enough fervor for prayer, then fervently pray for prayer. Start with a desire to want desire. Uh, come to the Lord with this, with this honesty of saying, God, I, I want more of you, but I don't want more of you right now. I want to be in your word. I want to be in community, but I don't feel it right now. And, and, and start to grow a discipline and a, and a dependency on God and work out your own salvation with a sense of awe and glory. You know, at the, the Heidelberg Catechism, we've, we've been citing it in our uh, Bible studies and our community groups, and we've mentioned it multiple times, but the end part of the answer to what is your only hope in life and death, it, it always encourages me. The last part of the answer, it says, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, He assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live on to Him. What we're being told is that when, when we belong to Jesus, when we depend on Him, through the Holy Spirit, not only does He assure us of eternal life, but He makes us wholeheartedly willing. In other words, He gives us a desire for Him to live on to Him from this day forward. And so the, the reality of the Christian faith, the reality of living a life in a manner worthy of the gospel, the reality of God uh, completing the good work that He began in us is that, yes, God is the one who ultimately grows us, but He also calls us to participate 
and to work out what He has given to us so that we may grow in obedience and we may enjoy Him. And he says to do this while holding fast. So if we look at uh, verse 14 through 16a, he says, do all things. Do all things. That's, that's a tough part right there, right? Do all things. Not most things, not some things, not the things that you like. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life. In verse 14, Paul says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. And he compares it uh, with a reference to the Israelites that, that are a crooked and twisted and uh, a stiff-necked people. Right? Another way of saying do all things without grumbling or disputing, to put it positively, is right. do all things while rejoicing. And this is why joy and the command to rejoice is, is a constant theme we see throughout Philippians. Right? If, if do all things without grumbling and disputing is the negative, then the positive reinforcing encouragement is to do everything while rejoicing. A Christian's life is one of joy. We've said it before. It doesn't matter what your job is or what your role is at church. See it all as serving the Lord. Seek His approval. Approve what is excellent. Abound in love. Again, like we said, the crooked and twisted generation is in reference to the Israelites uh, who are also described as stiff-necked people. They constantly turned away from the Lord. And sometimes the Lord even used the surrounding nations to judge them. They constantly turned to the idols of the foreign nations and turned their back on God. They, they constantly lacked and forgot uh, the fear and awe that, that, that they ought to have before the Lord. They, they often uh, became lackadaisical and, and, and stopped working out their salvation before the face of the Lord. As awe and fear and wonder left, a discipline uh, also left. And, and they started to turn to other things. And we see that oftentimes... Even though Israelites were the chosen people of God, uh, they didn't, and they weren't able to shine as lights. And sometimes they were a bad example. And even though uh, God shines His light on them, we see that they themselves, in and of themselves, weren't able to shine this light uh, from their own. And so God shines His light through Christ in you and I now. And so as as, as ones who are united to Christ, as ones who are called to hold fast to this word of life, uh, we're, we're challenged then to live in such a way in this present world that the light of Christ would be seen by those around us, that the light of Christ would be seen even through a, quick, a crooked and twisted generation. And this is done by holding fast to the word of life. Not only working out when we feel like it, but holding fast to it, being disciplined, even when the desire isn't quite there. Again, if it were easy, Paul wouldn't have to say, he wouldn't have to encourage the Philippian church to hold fast to the word of life. But we're called to hold fast to it, to, to stand firm and to be ready and to treasure and to grip it 
and continue to trust the Lord as we work out the salvation He has given to us. And this is, we're told, how Christians shine as lights in the world. As, as, as we work out our salvation, as, as grumbling and complaining dissolves in the grace of God, as we, as we sit in awe and wonder of who He is and how we receive such a love, we can rejoice in everything that we do. We don't have to look for appreciation or, or affirmation or praise from other people. Although those things can be encouraging and all those, those things are good things and we should give it. But ultimately, as we hold fast, not to the world's affirmation, not to the affirmations of man, but holding fast to the word of life, we continue to work out. And lastly, we pour out. And so look at with me the last section of our text. Philippians 2, 16b to 18, Paul says, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, you know, he wants the Philippian church to, to continue to work out their salvation, continue to hold fast the word of life. And he says, do it in such a way that, you know, my work, my partnering with you would not be in vain. Do, do it in such a way because he, he's saying that I, I would even pour myself out. In fact, he is pouring himself out like a drink offering upon their faith so that it would go up with a beautiful fragrance to God. The ESV Study Bible says this. It says, Paul compares himself to a drink offering. This type of offering, familiar uh, in both the Old Testament and the Greco-Roman culture, and then I added this, and the hip-hop culture, uh, involves pouring out wine, either onto the ground or, uh, as here, on an altar, along with animal or grain sacrifices. And so Paul is saying that, uh, that, that the Philippians' faith is something that he is glad to pour his life over, pour it all over, so that it would be a sacrifice to the Lord. Paul, Paul, Paul sees his life in some ways, he's able to see his life in some ways as significant in the Lord, yet something he can easily give up, almost wastefully. Why? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so he's saying, I don't mind pouring out if it means you will grow in faith. And this is the type of attitude uh, Paul has as he, as he encourages his church to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, to hold fast to the word of life. He's saying, I'm pouring out to you. I am glad and I rejoice. And you also live like this. Pour out to one another, to the world around you, and be glad and rejoice. Paul is living out the very thing he preached, counting others more significant, considering their needs above his own, pouring out wastefully, joyfully, because he knows it will grow his fellow brothers and sisters. He's glad to do it. And I love the way he ends this section. He says, he says, I am glad. You would think a guy who, who gave it all, who is sitting in prison, who, who in some ways doesn't have anything to his name, 
a guy who seems to, despite the hurt that he's received from people, continue to invest in people. A guy who has probably been taken advantage of unappreciated as he pours out his life to the people of his church, to his congregants, to those who partnered with him, he says, I am glad, I am happy, and I rejoice with you all. And he says, it's, a, it's paralleling, he's, I'm glad and I rejoice with you, and you, you also, as you live like this, holding fast to the word of life, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, even though it's hard, pour out to one another. Be glad and rejoice with me as well. So let, let me conclude with this. Brothers and sisters, oftentimes we, 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 when, we, when we think about our, our growing in our faith, we think it, it, it comes with this like teeth grinning, like, oh, like working out and sweating and, and being disciplined and being, being crazy, setting the alarm at 5 a.m. and reading through a whole book of the Bible and then opening up our devotionals and praying. We think it's just like, Ah, like pain and screaming, like, ah, one more devotional. But, but it doesn't come with such intensity all the time. And if it does, praise the Lord. And if you're someone who, who's, who can do that and keep up that intensity, praise the Lord. Give us some of that energy and that hype. We would love to grow with you. But oftentimes it comes with a slow and steady and disciplined, um, sometimes with complaining and grumbling, but then having that readjust and settling in. It comes with a, a rejoicing and with a reminder each morning of, of the gift of salvation we receive from God. It, it, it comes with a, a gladness and a rejoicing. And so, so brothers and sisters, my, my hope and, and rather, my, rather the, the charge of God's word today is to work out your own salvation before God with an awe and wonder of the gift of salvation that you have been given. Don't go too crazy. Don't, don't start now all of a sudden with guilt, just you know, thinking you're going to wake up at 4.30 every day to read your Bible. Start in small ways, but, but make those small ways not about doing something, but actually make those small ways a way you meet with Christ. See it as a coffee date, a meeting, a time spent together. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling as you go to Christ. Second, hold fast to Christ as you work out your salvation. A lot of times we can slip into a moralistic or a, a works righteous way if we, you know, but, but hold fast on to Christ. Hold fast to what he has done for you. Hold fast to what he says about you. Hold fast to the reality that it's by his spirit he makes you wholly willing and able to live unto him. And lastly, especially in this time, and even after this time, as a church and as individual members of the church, pour out, pour out, like Paul, and ultimately like Christ, let's pour out our lives to one another and be glad and rejoice. You know, I want to be able to say that line, you know, after, after the the Lord has called me to continue to pour out. I want to be able to say, you know what? Even though the world may see my life, and the, even if the world may see me as foolish, I'm glad to pour out. And I rejoice with my church. And I want my church to be glad to pour out as well and to rejoice with me. 
I want to get there. I want to grow to be a pastor like that. And I want, brothers and sisters, you guys to grow in Christ in that way too. So let's pour out. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now.